0: You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna warn us before I get started. Um, kind of. Been I'm going to avoid coughing directly into the mic, because I'm sure that you didn't come to church this morning to hear my cough amplified over a speaker. just going to going to get a little worried. Well, the year is 1955. A 15-year-old boy sat by his radio on a Sunday, like many Sundays, listening to a preacher deliver a sermon. He anticipated these sermons each week because the preacher spoke boldly With conviction. And there was something about the message of this preacher that just drew the boy in to tune in each week. He felt as though this preacher was preaching directly to him right over the radio. Um, And and after hearing a call to action in the town of Montgomery, Alabama, um, as something stirred, the boy felt called to action. And a life dedicated to servitude, justice, and peace was born for him that day who would later become referred to, uh, he would later become one of what was referred to as the big six leaders of the civil rights movement and his name was John Lewis and he would join um, alongside that preacher he would tune in um, and listen to every week around the Jr. Well at the age of 23, uh, he was one of the planners and the keynote speaker at the historic march in Washington in 1963 he led one of the most dramatic nonviolent protests of the movement, leading over 600 marchers across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama on March 7, 1965. Alabama state troopers attacked the marchers in a confrontation that would later become known as Bloody Sunday. And that fateful march and the subsequent march between Selma and Montgomery, Alabama led to the Voting Rights Act of 1965 which outlawed discriminatory voting practices. This amazing thing came out of a bloody Sunday. John Lewis, um, there's this quote that's often um, very attributed to him when you think of him. Um, This may be the quote that comes to your mind. But he, He said this, never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Good trouble meaning taking a stand against injustice, doing work to bring about good, even when it might come at a cost. Mm-hmm. This necessary good trouble he found himself in. Him. It wasn't this wasn't light and fluffy stuff. He's not saying good trouble and it being this light fun thing. This this was serious. He was arrested more than 40 times. He was physically and brutally attacked, and his skull was fractured on that bloody Sunday. And yet, 55 years later, before he died, he would have told you that it was necessary good trouble. Necessary because of the injustices happening to black folks at that time, and that still um, happened to this day. Um, And good because of the laws and the justice that would come to follow from that work. As we continue in our series um, in Acts, Peter and John um, they actually also find themselves in the middle of some good trouble. <laughs> we're picking up where we left off last week, which, if you missed, um, we, we heard from Clint about how Peter and John are miraculously heal this man who had been who hadn't walked a day in his 40 years, who had been a beggar, and they miraculously healed him. And so we're gonna pick up this morning in the aftermath. Of this miracle. So if you'd like to follow along with me, we're gonna be reading from Acts 4, starting at verse 1. Um, the words are gonna be on the screen behind me if you own the Bible. Um but if you'd like to follow along with me in Acts 4, starting at verse 1. The word says this. Well, Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain, and the temple, and the Sadducees came to them much annoyed, because they were teaching the people, proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection. Of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The next day the rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem, and mm-hmm. there the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power, or by what name do you, did you do this? Then peter filled with the holy spirit said to them rulers of the people and elders but we're questioned today because of the good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed let it be known to all of you and to all the people of israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of jesus christ of nazareth whom you crucified whom god raised from the dead this jesus oh, yeah, this jesus is the stone that was rejected by you The builders, it it has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, What will we do with them? For it's obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let's, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praise God for what happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your miraculous wonders and your mysteriousness would ever become just known news to us, mm-hmm. that you do heal, that you do do miraculous wonders. As we sing this morning, we are open and willing to the work that you do in us and through us. In your name we pray, amen. amen. So to kind of break down um, this story that we've just read, Peter and John, they heal again, and all these folks have witnessed this. They're amazed. Um, so what does Peter do? Well, he's going to preach about it. <laughs> he's, he, he's talking to the folks, um, but the priests, the police, they are hearing this, and in verse 2 it says that they are much annoyed which is a very intriguing reaction, in my opinion, to the healing of someone who has been sick for 40 years. <laughs> They're annoyed. Like, how could you possibly be annoyed at something so miraculous? Well, oh, yeah. uh, you see, the Sadducees, they were a sect of Jews that didn't believe the scriptures taught resurrection. And here are these two guys preaching about it in their temple courts. most of the land and they wield an immense power they have this policy of collaboration of the Romans which basically means um, that they want to keep the status quo They want to keep things just as they are because to keep things just as they are even if it is at the stake of someone else's healing it means that they get to keep benefiting from the system so they want to do anything possible to not let things be disturbed as they currently stand And the early Christians were a disturbance for those who desperately wanted to keep things as they were. Have you ever noticed how the only people who seem to be annoyed by good trouble are the people who benefit from the troubles? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Peter and John, they're thrown in jail overnight and then um, they're brought back before these rulers, religious leaders, and experts of the law. And I want us to note here that it was only a few weeks prior to this that Jesus was sent to death. And these are some of the same people who cooperated um, doing away with jesus can you imagine what must have been going through peter and john's mind like is are we about to face the same fate? is this the end for us they had to have been thinking like all right this is it like well, it's a good run guys but <laughs> see, you, see you later no i know i'm making light of it this is this isn't light and fluffy death was a very real possibility for these two <clears throat> and so they questioned them who the heck do you think you are where do you get off the case against John and Peter was not an easy one there was no denying that a miracle happened the evidence stood before them and a man who everyone in the city had known had cast every day they, they, they knew that he had never walked a day in his life and here he was standing before them healed, walking, leaving you cannot deny that And so if they can't deny it, then they're just going to not acknowledge it. They ask themselves, what the heck are we going to do with these guys? Everyone's heard about them already. We can't deny it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to squash it. We're going to stop it from happening. We're going to stop everything from spreading. We're going to just nip it in the bud. Uh, Spoiler alert though, we are sitting in this room, which means that the message spread, (laughs) which means that we're unsuccessful. Um, And they couldn't stop this message just from spreading because as peter says once you have experienced jesus jesus you cannot help but speak about what you have seen we've named this sermon series <coughs> what's next and this question sticks out to me um here in this passage here we've got these apostles in the aftermath of the resurrection and they're filled with the holy spirit Boldly continuing the ministry of the friend, their Lord. That was what was next for them. So what Jesus called for them. That was what was next to the ends of the earth. And how are we to respond in the aftermath of the re- resurrection? If we ask the same question to us, what's next for us? Mm-hmm. The apostles, sorry guys, the apostles, they, they've actually shown us uh, like a blueprint for us. This is what's next. This is what is next for us in response and in the aftermath of the resurrection. That by acknowledging the resurrection, resurrecting power of God with boldness and communicating to those who are in need of good news through acknowledgement, through boldness, through communication. That's easy, right? We got that. You guys got that, right? You can do that. Well, what's next for us in the aftermath of the resurrection? It's these three things acknowledgement, boldness, communication. And this isn't a formula we're asking you to plug in so that next week you can show up at, with 5,000 converts. <laughs> like, if you don't have 5,000 people here by next week, you clearly didn't listen. <laughs> You will never, ever, ever, I promise, hear me ever say anything remotely close to that. And I think it can speak for Clint and say that. Like, you'll probably never hear him say the same things. So this, this isn't a checklist to knock off, a formula to plug in, um, but it's this is uh, how who we are, how we live. Uh, we talk a lot at Midtown um, about this idea of holistic transformation. Uh, maybe that's a word you've, you've heard us use before. Um, and What scripture is inviting us to here is bringing the gospel the good news that salvation through Jesus Christ for everyone Bringing that into the everyday every area of our life that we wouldn't create pockets for our Christianity um, But that this thing that we're claiming to hang our very lives upon would actually be a part of every area of our lives Are you guys with me? Yeah. So that we first have to acknowledge we have to acknowledge where in our lives and the lives of those around us. Have we seen miraculous work done? <clears throat> where have you seen transformation take place in your life? Because the truth is, we spend time with Jesus. It's going to transform us. The work that uh, John and Peter had, um, had been on trial, they acknowledged that these were guys who were companions of Jesus. That 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 explains how they can speak like this, how they can heal like this. Because they were they were companions of Jesus. They hung out with him. So even they, even though they missed the whole point, they missed the beauty of the kingdom. They could at least acknowledge that being with Jesus changes people. Mm. They saw that and they knew it. And so what I want us to do, as we um, for the rest of the day throughout this week, is so I want us to take time reflecting. Where can I acknowledge? How being a companion of Jesus has transformed my life. Where, where can I, when I think back on my life, where can I say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I see that. That's how Jesus has transformed me. Maybe a couple years ago, you were really butting heads with someone, and it just was obvious in the ways that you interacted with this person. But now, in reflection, um, you can see how learning to pray for your enemies has transformed in the way that you communicate with this person. Maybe several years ago, um, you used to end a hard week finding ways to numb yourself. But spending time in community with other companions of Jesus has given you folks to go to to grieve in the process with. Maybe your life was once consumed with how you appeared to others through how you appeared, how you home, through your things, um, but now you find yourself consumed with being a loving presence to others. Or maybe someone recently said something that caused you to go, oh, what? I feel sad. I feel sad. They said that, and I feel sad. But now in reflection, and now with some time, if, if this had happened maybe a few years ago, if that happened, you would have responded. Maybe you would have yelled at them. Maybe you would have harbored some resentment. But now with some maturity, you can look and you can reflect, and you can say, yeah, um, that hurt, but I forgive you. And you can do that because you're a forgiven person. Or maybe back in the day, someone else's miracle would have annoyed you. But now you find that you're praising God for it. The truth is, there are millions of little miracles of work done in our hearts when we spend time with Jesus. Uh, Some go unnoticed, some take decades of time to to work itself out, Um, some are glaringly obvious. uh, But when we spend time reflecting, asking that God show us how He's transformed us, then we can acknowledge that how transformed we've become, how transformed God will plan to make us through all the days of our lives. We'll never reach a point of, I have reached peak transformation, I am a peak Christian, but this is a lifelong thing. But when we sit and we acknowledge that transformative work that's been happening, um, that we can see how we've died to the old so that God can resurrect the new. This acknowledgement includes <laughs> pointing directly at Jesus. That when we, when we reflect on these things, when we acknowledge these things, that we can point and say, Yeah, that's that's what that's what Jesus. That was Jesus there doing that. Then we can attribute these miracles to Him, and the resurrection work happens because of Him. Well, in an interview with uh, PBS, John Lewis um, actually said this. So sometimes when I look back and I think about it, how did we do what we did? How did we succeed? I felt like we were, mm-hmm. I felt like when we were sitting in at those lunch counter stools or marching from Selma to Montgomery, that there was a power and a force. God Almighty was there with us. That this incredible work that able to, in reflection and in sitting with it, acknowledging, that wasn't, that wasn't us. God walked that bridge with us. God sat at his stool next to us. That this is the work of God Almighty. And, and that John Lewis is able to, in a penis interview, that went out on television to, to speak and directly at Jesus and God. That acknowledging the transformative work of Jesus, looking back and saying, who was there? How did we do that? we history straight back to Jesus. So our second, um, what's next for us. Is, is boldness this healing um, in the book is the first of the healing in the book of Acts uh, and like, we're seeing how it must have been just like absolute confirmation like cherry on top like yeah I know and Jesus said that this was gonna happen and I did I mean I did but like this actually happened and so now okay now I really know and it just must have been like a tangible miracle like all okay, right I know I know I really know this and it birthed this boldness um, that the, the Holy Spirit was able to fill Peter with a realization of the power of the living Christ was work within them. It came. The Holy Spirit is the boldest. That if if you know that the living Christ is at work within you, then it will embolden you. It will cause a boldness in you that wasn't there prior. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, That same boldness that enabled Peter to preach to the very people who had the power to end him is the same boldness that is available to you and I. Peter's ability to look at the face of the people who were trying to end him and preach the gospel, that same boldness is available to you and I. Do you believe that? Peter goes from denying Jesus. He denies Jesus here. And in a crazy turn of events, Peter finds himself not just denying, he's, he's not just not denying, but he is professing the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus, professing so eloquently, by the way, that verse 13 says that the court saw their boldness and noticed that they were unschooled, ordinary dudes. They were untrained fishermen, zero seminary training, didn't you know, take any courses, and yet here they are. And so the, the, their, conclu- their conclusion for how this was possible was that they end with Jesus. From denial to boldness. Resurrection brings boldness out of cowards. That's what resurrection power does. <clears throat> there are times when this boldness <clears throat> might get us into good trouble, necessary good trouble. The wrong that Peter and John had done, as verse 9 puts it, um, was a good deed to someone who was sick. That's what got them thrown in jail and that they were talking about it. That was the trouble here. There may have been times in your life, um, and if there haven't been times in your life, there certainly will be times in your life when you're going to come face to face with injustice and brokenness and need. And what we need to know about our God is he deeply cares about justice and he deeply cares to desire our brokenness. And so the question that we've got to ask ourselves when we come used to with these things is, has resurrected life changed me? And what might God be using that change for, for the sake of his goodness? What well, goodness can be brought about because of the resurrection power that God has done in me? That resurrection caused a man to lead 600 folks across the bridge in Alabama to stand against racial injustice. Resurrection opened the doors to Corey Ten Boom's home to welcome Jewish refugees in World War II. Resurrection stirs in homes across Iran every Sunday as they gather for worship. Maybe you're here because someone had the boldness from their own resurrection story to invite you here. Resurrection brings boldness out of us so how will we leave this place and build it into the world? If we join in the what's next, then we join with Peter's words, and we cannot keep from speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard, because what we've seen and what we've heard is resurrection power, and that should be something that lifts us up and sends us out of here on the path of boldness in the name of Jesus. And so, lastly, that leaves us with uh, communicating this message, which sounds like it be—it should be really easy, right? It should be really easy to communicate the work of the resurrection of Jesus and the salvation to all. But that's easy, right? You do that every day, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is it that we find it so difficult to talk about this thing that we hold so dearly and is so important in our lives? <clears throat> Talking about... Um, talking to our friends and our family and our coworkers workers about our faith it seems simple in theory um, but yet yeah, it seems so challenging for us in practice that if we've done the work of acknowledging inwardly the, the power of transformation in, in us then we have to also do the work to acknowledge that outwardly and there's some of you guys in this room who are really good at that And i look at you and i admire it and i want to be and i want i want that um, but there are also some of us in this, in, in this room who really have a hard time being able to acknowledge outwardly this power that has taken place um, through Jesus. And Peter faces this trial against a court with uh, a whole court of people with different theological beliefs. They all believe in not the same thing as him, and they have a strong desire to snuff out any talk of what he's talking about and this is the start of the early church but this is also the start of the persecuted church and that here today and in our country we enjoy we enjoy spiritual freedom but something i've I've been reflecting on is what if what if we lost that what if it became a crime for us to gather in these spaces what if it became a crime for us to have our faith to be a christian and if we were brought to trial um, what evidence from the how you live, what you say, who you hang out with, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what evidence, um, material or circumstantial evidence, could a prosecutor use against you if it were a crime to be a Christian? Oh, this is uh, just a different way of reflecting how much of my life actually points to Jesus. If somebody had to use my life against me, how, how much of this, how much of what I'm doing, how I live my life, how I spend my time, how much of it actually points to Jesus? And why is it so hard? I have some family, um, I have a family member that very strongly disagrees with all of this. And so I just don't talk about it with her. And that breaks my heart because there's this whole part of my life that is very important to me that I don't share with my sister. It breaks my heart i love her and maybe you're like me and you've got somebody you love a friend or a family member and it feels like you have to keep this part of I you mean, hidden and you don't want to hide it and you want to include them in it and it's not and we don't want to include it include our friends and our family because we're trying to collect collect people we're not trying to collect our for our five thousand person quota um, but it's because we love our friends and our family It's because they love Jesus. And we would be doing them a disservice not to share such good news with them. But that's that's why we're doing this. not because we're fearful or because we're trying to reach max Christianity. but because we love people. We love our friends and family. In his book, um, Understanding Christian Mission, uh, Scott Sundquist shares a story about a friend, Akram, who is Muslim. Akram has, um, had become a really good friend of their family, um, sharing meals and holidays together. He even described Akram as like, an uncle to his children. And they, they shared their faith with him in small ways. Um, they exchanged holy books. Um, Akram had shared um, a copy of the Quran with them, and they had shared a pocket-sized New Testament with him. And they read each other's books, and they had some brief description, uh, discussions, but um, not anything really deep. One Christmas, um, they invited Akram uh, to spend Christmas Eve with their family, and he actually got Christmas gifts for their kids, and they, let the kids opened the gifts, and they were like, amazed. Akram like, oh, got presents like nicer than the presents we got our kids. Like He knew his family to them. Um, and after the kids had all gone to bed, Scott, and his wife, and Akram, they all sat quietly, enjoying some tea, when Akram asked them, You're not trying to convert me, are you? <laughs> she' a, kid, a so how, how Scott responded, um, I thought was really profound. In the home that moment, he thought of Peter denying Jesus. And so then he told Alfred this. He said, "Am I trying to convert you?
1: Let me tell you this, Alfred.
0: We're good friends. You have been from the very beginning a great friend, not only to us but to all our kids. Our friendship is a sure thing, it's something for which we are very grateful to Alfred." However, there is nothing greater, more beautiful, or important to me and my family than Jesus Christ. As your friend, and as a friend of Jesus Christ, I cannot imagine holding back from you that which is most important to us. There is nothing greater that I could ever wish for you, or pray for, than that you would come to know Jesus, and follow him. And so yes, I would like you to know the same love that we received from Allah and Jesus. However, if you do not choose to follow Jesus, We will still be your friends we greatly appreciate your friendship and I just really loved his response and that what he shared with his friend is love that he loves him that he's still going to love him and that's at the heart of why we're communicating this message that is at the heart of the what's next for us let's go with love and love for a neighbor that we might be able to share in that same love. So what's next, friends? As we leave this building, the day draws to a close. We sleep and we awake tomorrow. What will be next for tomorrow? How will we choose to live out our resurrected lives? May we be people who choose to acknowledge the resurrected power, to communicate with boldness, and then to communicate that to those who are in need of the good news. He's in the words of Scott and from this book he says good news is for sharing and good news is for all people let's pray